Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Trump implicated. Federal prosecutors say Donald Trump directed his former fixer to break the law. An accusation that could set the stage for an historic clash. Will House Democrats push to impeach the president? This period of being able to lie incessantly and not being called to account is coming to an end. We'll talk exclusively with the top Democrat on the House Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, next. Plus, mounting tensions as the president lashes out about the Russia investigation. There's absolutely no collusion. Some of his fellow Republicans are set to rebuke him on foreign policy. Might a White House shakeup help him get back on course? John Kelly will be leaving. Republican Senator Marco Rubio will be here next. And taking on Trump. Hello, New Hampshire! Democrats are looking ahead to 2020. There's some really good people out there. But with a very crowded field of potential contenders, did some of those hopefuls already miss their moment? Hello, I'm Dick Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is attempting to connect the dots. President Trump seems to be trying his best to change the subject, announcing Saturday he'll be replacing his chief of staff, John Kelly, an announcement that was supposed to be made tomorrow, this after some of the most significant clues yet into President Trump's potential political and legal vulnerabilities in the ongoing special counsel investigation, as well as the Southern District of New York's probe into his former associate, Michael Cohen. The president is also trying to put his own spin on the story, falsely claiming that he is, quote, totally cleared and saying this on Saturday. On the Mueller situation, we're very happy with what we are reading because uh, there was no collusion whatsoever. Uh, There never has been. The last thing I want is help from Russia on a campaign. It is difficult to imagine how the president or any of his supporters could be, quote, very happy with these new legal filings from Robert Mueller and federal prosecutors, for the first time, prosecutors implicated President Trump in two crimes, saying that he directed Michael Cohen to make these hush money payments to two women in order to impact the 2016 presidential election. The filings also offer new insights into the depth of the special counsel's Russia investigation, including previously unknown attempts by the Russians to infiltrate the Trump campaign during 2016 and reveal that both Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen have been in touch with people closely connected to the White House as recently as this year. Let's go straight to the incoming chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Jerry Nadler of New York, uh, soon to be Mr. Chairman. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. I I want to read a key line 
from the Southern District of New York filing from Friday. It says, quote, with respect to both payments, Cohen acted with the intent to influence the 2016 presidential election in particular. And as Cohen himself has now admitted, with respect to both payments, he acted in coordination with and at the direction of individual one. Individual one, of course, is President Trump. So that's crystal clear. Federal prosecutors uh, are saying that uh, the president uh, ordered Michael Cohen to commit to federal campaign finance felonies. In your view, does that rise to the level of an impeachable offense? Well, I think what these uh, uh, indictments and, uh, and uh, filings show is that the president was at the center of a massive fraud, several massive frauds against the American people. And it's now our job, uh, the job of the Justice Department, the special, the special counsel and the Congress to get to the bottom of this, uh, to find out exactly what was going on, to sign, find out the extent of the president's involvement, this, to find out basically what did the president know and when did he know it, so that we can then hold him accountable. If it is proven that the president directed or coordinated with Cohen to commit these felonies, if it's proven, and I understand it has not yet been, it's been alleged by the prosecutors, but it has not been proven. If it's proven, is, are those impeachable offenses? Well, they would be impeachable offenses. Uh, whether they are important enough to justify an impeachment is a different question, but certainly they'd be impeachable offenses because even though they were committed before the president became president, uh, they were committed in, 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 in the service of fraudulently obtaining the office. Uh, that, would be the, the, uh, that would be an impeachable offense. But the fact of the matter is that what we see from these indictments and charging statements is a much broader uh, conspiracy against the American people involving uh, these payments, involving a, a, you know attempt to, to uh, influence the campaign improperly uh, with improper payments, involving uh, the Russians uh, trying to get influence in the campaign, involving the president lying for an entire year about his ongoing business arrangements, business uh, dealings, uh, with the Russians uh, involving obstruction of justice. All of these have to be looked at very seriously by the Congress, by the special counsel and by the Justice Department and, and to see what uh, uh, what actions we should then take. And what is clear also is that the Republican Congress absolutely tried to shield the president. The new Congress will not try to shield the president, but will try to get to the bottom of this uh, in order to serve the American people and to get and to stop this massive consp this massive fraud on the American people. Can you explain what you mean when you differentiate between maybe these are if it's proven it's impeachable offenses, but that does not necessarily mean that the offenses themselves are important enough to actually begin proceedings of impeachment. There seems to be a, a difference there in your view. Why? It's not necessarily a difference, but it, it's simply two different considerations. Uh, you don't necessarily launch an impeachment against the president because he committed an impeachable offense. Uh, there are several things you have to look at. One, were there impeachable offenses committed? How many, et cetera? And secondly, how important were they? Do they rise to the gravity where you should undertake an impeachment? An impeachment is, is an attempt to, to, in effect, overturn or change the result of the last election. You should do it only for very serious situations. So that's always the question. But you just said that the president seems to be in the middle, uh, or seems to have been in the middle of a massive fraud against the American people. That doesn't sound like somebody who thinks that these alleged crimes don't rise to the level of needing oh, I impeachment. Didn't, I, I didn't say they don't rise. I said we have to uh, get to the bottom of all of this. We have to find out exactly what was going on. We have to look at these at these crimes and what did the president know and when did he know about these crimes? We have to look at the Russian interference with the campaign, and what did the president know about that? 
And to what extent did he cooperate with that? If he did, we have to look at uh, his business dealings and his lying about that. We have to look at the fact that uh, uh, he surrounded himself with crooks, his campaign manager, his deputy campaign manager, his national security advisor, uh, all of them and, and a whole a bunch of other people. They all were meeting with the Russians. They all expressed uh, interest in meeting again. None of them reported it to the proper authorities. They've all been indicted for one uh, crime or another. The president uh, invent, created his own swamp and brought it to the White House. These are all very serious things. And we have to get to the bottom of this, find out what all the facts are, uh, we and the special counsel, uh, and then make decisions. You've said you're considering legislation that would pause the statutes of limitations for any crimes a president might commit uh, while he's in office, uh, the current Justice Department guidelines are that a sitting president, um, although they're in dispute, but uh, whether or not they say suggesting that the current president cannot be indicted. Do you think a current president cannot be indicted? And if so, do you think President Trump should then be susceptible to be indicted after he leaves the White House? Number one, I disagree with the Office of Special Counsel in, in the Department of Justice. There's nothing in the Constitution that prohibits the president from being indicted. And I think it's very important that, uh, you know, the, we originated, this country originated in a rebellion against the English king. We, didn't, we did not seek to, to create another king. Nobody, not the president, not anybody else can be above the law. And uh, there's no reason to think that the president should not be indicted. The reason given by the Office of Legal Counsel is that it would, it would take up too much of his time. He couldn't do his job. But, you know, the Constitution specifically allows an impeachment. That certainly takes up a lot of time for the president. So I don't agree that a president can't be indicted. But insofar as the Justice Department refuses to indict a president, no matter what the evidence is of whatever crimes, because they think he can't be indicted, we should certainly uh, toll the statute of limitations so that uh, uh, if he does something before he's president or while he's president that should be indicted and the Department of Justice will not consider indicting him whatever the facts, while he's president, he can be indicted afterwards. Because said, nobody may be above the law. You said on Friday you're going to end the investigation into whether bias influenced FBI decisions during the 2016 election. You've called it a waste of time. You've called it uh, nonsense. Um, there are a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who were alarmed by the texts between Lisa Page and Peter Strzok of the FBI at the time, uh, by some of the actions from uh, then-Deputy FBI Director Andrew McKay, by some of the actions by FBI Director James Comey uh, before and during the 2016 election. Are you not concerned at all that by ending that investigation, you'll be shirking the congressional oversight responsibility over the Justice Department and the FBI? No, I think that that, that was thoroughly investigated by the Inspector General, who found that that while uh, a couple, some of the agents in, inside the FBI had their personal opinions about uh, candidate Trump, which they're entitled to, uh, he, the inspector general in his very thorough report found that they, that those opinions did not in any way influence the actions of the department. The department, remember, is prohibited by law from asking after the uh, political opinions of anybody they hire. Uh, there are plenty of people who are supporting Trump in the FBI and the Department of Justice, plenty of people who didn't like him. That's their personal opinion. And the fact that one of them said it to another on the uh, uh, is, is, is OK, as long as they didn't. Uh, uh, bring any bias to any of the decisions. And the inspector general found that they did not. And, the, 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 and, and this has been thoroughly investigated. Uh, and frankly, it's not a question of ending the investigation. There's nothing left to investigate. It's been done several times. I think, just in point of clarity, I think the inspector general said that about the investigation of Hillary Clinton's uh, email server through the summer of 2016. But I don't think that they reached the same conclusion necessarily about decisions made 
after he that. Said, he, he said there was, for the second one, he said there was no evidence that he saw. All right. Uh, soon to be uh, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, Gerald Nadler of New York. Thank you so much, sir. We appreciate your time. Thank you. The president says by the end of the year, his chief of staff will be gone. Will John Kelly's replacement try to impose order or will it be more and even more let Trump be Trump? Plus, we're going to see something unusual in Congress, leading members of the president's own party breaking with him on foreign policy. We're going to talk to Republican Senator Marco Rubio about that next. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. Republicans in the Senate are poised to do something unusual this week. Break with President Trump over his Saudi Arabia policy. This comes as new insight into the scope of the Mueller probe is putting more pressure on both the White House and on Republican lawmakers who have been supportive of the president. Joining me now is Republican Senator Marco Rubio uh, of Florida. He's a member of the Senate Intelligence and Foreign Relations Committee. Senator Rubio, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I want to I want to get to all those issues I talked about in the in the open in, in a moment. But first, um, I want to ask you about uh, retiring Chief of Staff John Kelly. Speaker Ryan called mm-hmm. him uh, a quote force for order, clarity, and good sense. If the last year was an example of order, clarity, and good sense. Are you at all concerned about what happens next with the White House without John Kelly? Well, it depends who they put in as a replacement. As I said, I'm a huge John Kelly fan. I've known him since his time. He, he served in Florida, in Miami. He was the, his last uh, assignment uh, before retiring from the military was running Southern Command. And he did a great job there. He did a great job at Homeland Security. And we had a great working relationship with him as the chief of staff. There's always turnover in that position, obviously. It's, every president has a, at least a couple. And so, obviously, it, it's a loss to see him go. And now we'll see who they put there as a replacement. And, um, and we'll go from there. But hopefully it'll be someone, you know, he's hard to replace. There's no doubt about it. But hopefully it'll be someone just as qualified, just as strong, that uh, gets a, it's good for our country to have someone like that in that post. Let's turn to new court filings this week from the Southern District of New York. Here's what they wrote about former Trump lawyer and fixer Michael Cohen, quote, While many Americans who desired a particular outcome to the 2016 election knocked on doors or toiled at phone banks, Cohen sought to influence the election from the shadows. He did so by orchestrating secret and illegal payments, unquote. Now, prosecutors say Michael Cohen made the payment, quote, in coordination with and at the direction of then-candidate Donald Trump. You were a candidate for president in 2016 running against Donald Trump. Does it bother you that they were breaking campaign laws, allegedly, in order to win the election? Well, not from that. Not about me. I mean, when that happened, I was well outside of the race. It's about the country. It's about what our laws are and about the fact that no one should be above the law. From the very beginning of all of this, I've said what we deserve is the truth. No one is beneath the law, meaning no one uh, is not entitled to the protections of it, but also no one is above it. So I would just say that uh, we want to know everything. We will know everything that's happened here at some point. Mr. Cohen has a version of it. Obviously, those who are accused or potentially accused as part of it have another. And we don't know what additional information the Justice Department has uh, to corroborate some of this. Uh, they don't necessarily have to put that in, the, in these filings because they're sentencing filings. So my interest from the very beginning in all of this is for all the information to be out there before the American people so that the court system can make judicial and justice decisions and the American people can make political decisions as a re- and, and Congress as well. So I'm going to wait for all of that to come forward. Obviously, this is relevant information and, uh, and, and things that, that cannot and should not be ignored. If it is proven that the president directed an aide uh, to ki- commit felonies to influence the election, what should the repercussions be? 
Well, again, we're speculating, right? Because we don't know what additional information the Justice Department have. You have someone here who's facing criminal charges, who's facing sentencing, and is looking for leniency, saying one thing, and it's not atypical of people to be very cooperative and sometimes to start stretch the truth. I'm not saying that's what's happened here. And you have someone who denies it. But your, the answer to your question is, if someone has violated the law, the, the application of the law should be applied to them like it would to any other citizen in this country. And obviously, if you're in a position of great authority like the presidency, that would be the case. I don't know if it's going to reach that point or not. We have to wait and see. But uh, my, my decision on that or my position on that will not be a political decision. It'll be the fact that we are a nation of laws and no one in this country, no matter who you are, is above it. Yeah, it's it just a, po a point of clarity. It's not just Michael Cohen saying this. The Southern District of New York U.S. attorney is asserting this. Uh, and that was what was stark about the different language. They weren't just saying, according to Cohen, such and such. They were saying this, well, this happened. And that's, why, and that's why I think people should reserve judgment, because we don't know what additional evidence they have that has not been introduced in the public record uh, to corroborate taking that position. And uh, there may be additional evidence presented at the sentencing phase later on. We don't know. There may not be any more. It may just be based on his testimony. But because we don't know, we can't make decisions or, or make pronouncements on things that we don't know yet. Your fellow Florida Republican Congressman Matt Gates has called for the president to pardon his former campaign chair, uh, Paul Manafort. Uh, that's part of the Mueller investigation, not the Southern District of New York. Uh, would that be a mistake or do you think that's a good idea to yes, pardon Manafort? It would be a mistake. It would be a mistake. And I would st strongly counsel against it. Um, I don't think that, the, in my view, the presidential pardon power was not created for these sorts of purposes. Um, I, I just think it would be the wrong thing to do, and I think it would be a huge political mistake as well. So I hope that doesn't happen, and um, yeah, that would be my position on it. Let's turn to Saudi Arabia. You introduced a resolution that finds the Saudi crown prince, quote, complicit in the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, which the, the president has not done, uh, asserted that he was complicit. Now the New York Times is reporting that the president's son-in-law and advisor, Jared Kushner, has reportedly been coaching the crown prince on how to withstand the blowback over the murder of Khashoggi. Um, do you think the White House is, is standing up for American values here? Well, I don't know if that story is accurate or not. Here's what I can tell you. The Amer this story is as much about America as it is about Khashoggi. Obviously, what happened to that man is terrible. But it's also about who we are as a nation. The alliance with Saudi Arabia is a very important alliance. Our alliance is the Saudi alliance, not an alliance with the crown prince, with the Saudis. And so it is an alliance that has limits, like any alliance would. This is a crown prince that is a reckless individual. He's young, he's immature, but in addition to that, he is reckless. And if we, he's going to continue to test the boundaries of what he can get away with internationally and within our alliance until those boundaries are set. As far as knowing that he's engaged, look, here's the bottom line, and I don't, we don't need you know, direct evidence that he ordered the code red on this thing. The bottom line is that there is no way that 17 people close to him got on a charter plane, flew to a third country, went into a consulate, killed and chopped up a man and flew back. And he didn't know about it, much less uh, order it. And we don't need any other. Th those are just stretches credibility to believe that in a country like that, this is not some decentralized country that in a country like that, a man with his power, his influence, and his control did not know it and did not order it. It's just not believable. And uh, especially knowing what we know about that, that, uh, that, that government. So uh, that's why we filed that resolution. I feel strongly that it is much about who we are as a nation as it is about the gentleman who was killed here. And uh, it's a terrible thing that happened to him and his family. And I'm not diminishing it, but I'm telling you that as a country, we cannot basically be a nation that says when our allies do something horrifying, we're going to look away. Uh, I'm not saying shatter the relationship with Saudi Arabia. It's an important alliance. 
But there has to be accountability for what happened here, and it has to be clear to the world that America is not a supporter of it and is not going to be a facilitator of these sorts of crimes. Is, is President Trump looking away? Is he facilitating a crime? Well, I don't know about facilitating because it's after the fact, but I do think that if we're not strong and the administration's not strong about this, he could do this again. He could do something worse in the future or someone else could. That's the point we're trying to make here is that U.S. foreign policy and our alliances are important, but they are not without limits. And it's in our national interest to care about this because human rights violations... And if someone's chopping people up in a consulate, you know they're going to violate human rights at home and around the world. It leads to mass migration. It leads to instability. It's the fuel behind radicalism in many cases. Sometimes it gets these governments overthrown. And, and the people who take over hate us because we were the people defending those who were abusing them. So it's in, not in our national interest uh, to, to be a defender of human rights violations. Lastly, sir, I want to ask you, uh, there are allegations that a Republican uh, campaign operative in North Carolina's 9th District threw out Democratic votes, altered absentee ballots. Uh, both the Democrat and the Republican in North Carolina are now raising the possibility of a new election there. As, as I'm sure you remember, in Florida a few weeks ago, you were very outspoken uh, about the fear of Democratic lawyers trying to, quote, steal the election during the recounts in, in Florida. Uh, ultimately, Republicans won uh, both of the recounts. Are you concerned at all about what's happening in North Carolina, which seems to have very concrete examples of election fraud? Uh, and if you are concerned, how come you haven't said anything about it yet? Well, because in the case of Florida, it isn't just Florida, it's one county, Broward County, an elections official that I'm very familiar with, everyone in Florida is very familiar with, including our state press, <coughs> who was not just, it was incompetent. And that incompetence created an opening for lawyers to go to court and have state law reinterpreted in a way that could have impacted the election. And that's, that, that is what I characterize as stealing. Elections should be decided by voters, not by courts. Now, in terms of North Carolina, I don't know nearly as much about it, only what I've read in the press. If someone did something like that, I don't care who it benefited, that, that should not count. That should not happen. The individual responsible for it should be potentially prosecuted, should be removed from their office. Elections should be decided by voters, not by judges, and most certainly not by election officials violating the law. So if that's what happened in North Carolina, then I think that's what the penalty should be. That person should be held accountable, and whatever remedy that's appropriate should be applied. I just don't know as much about the North Carolina case as I do about the Florida one, because we've been living the Brenda Snipes saga uh, for over a decade now here in Florida and Broward County. All right, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it as always. Thank you. President Trump is wrongly insisting that he's been exonerated in the Russia investigation, but at this point, is it a little too late for damage control? Everyone stay right here. We'll be right back. John Kelly will be leaving, but I don't know if I can say retiring, but He's a great guy. Uh, John Kelly will be leaving uh, at the end of the year. We'll be announcing who will be taking John's place. It might be on an interim basis. I'll be announcing that over the next day or two. President Trump announcing yesterday that Chief of Staff John Kelly is leaving, which means that in fewer than three years of being president, he will have had three chiefs of staff. And of course, there really is a tweet for everything. Take a look at what President Trump, as private citizen Trump, tweeted in 2012. Three chief of staffs in less than three years of being president. Part of the reason why Barack Obama can't manage to pass his agenda, unquote. A tweet for everything, as always. But let's talk about uh, John Kelly. Uh, are you concerned about his leaving? People think that he brought some measure, obviously limited to a degree, but some measure of stability. Yeah, I think the, uh, the lockdown tough general that, quote, Trump respects uh, didn't work. 
uh, didn't work uh, in controlling Trump. I, I like the idea of someone who is a, a, pol a politician, someone who is respected by the president for his political instincts, because that to me is sort of the, the secret sauce of how you get the president to, uh, to, to focus more on his agenda and the things that many of us have been telling the president to focus on. You appeal to his pol the political side. John Kelly could never make that argument. Mr. President, politically, you can't do this. Well, who's John Kelly to say whether, whether, whether something's smart politically? You have someone like a Nick Ayers or, or others who have a real strong political background, I think he can be much more influential. Or a Rick Santorum? No, not a Rick Santorum. <laughs> well, whoever the next chief of staff is going to be, they're going to have to deal with a lot of incoming from Mueller and from the Southern District of New York. Um, despite the Southern District of New York's assertion, President Trump directed Michael Cohen to commit two felonies. The president thinks he's in the clear. On Friday, immediately after the prosecutors released their findings, the president tweeted, quote, totally clears the president. Thank you. To which conservative lawyer and Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway, tweeted, Except for that little part where the U.S. Attorney's Office says that you directed and coordinated with Cohen to commit two felonies. Other than that, totally scot-free. How is this being received by Republicans in Congress, Congressman? Are you, are you worried about this? Of course we're worried. Um, anytime anything like this is happening, you're worried. What does this lead to? And what I've said from the beginning is similar to what Marco Rubio said earlier, which is we just want to see when this is all done, what is laid before Congress, what the evidence is. And what we're doing right now is taking every new filing, and we're extrapolating what that means in the long run, we don't know. So is this something bigger? Is this a campaign finance violation, which would obviously, I don't think, be anywhere near impeachable? Um, that's what we want to find out at the end of the Mueller thing. But I'll tell you, the Democrats run a major risk by all automatically right now, as we heard Jerry Nadler earlier talking about impeachment, impeachable offenses. Well, we may not impeach, but it's an impeachable offense. I'd be very careful if I was them, because that's going to derail, I think, the next two years of their agenda, which, frankly, I'd be fine derailing their agenda. What, of course, what do you think? Look, Congressman, of course. No, I mean, that on, on the point of going too far, I definitely agree. But if there's something there, Congress's job is to be the check and the balance. And it was obvious that the Republican-controlled Congress was not the check and balance on President Trump. So the Democrats should definitely do their jobs in that regard, but they should also show a vision for America and not just only be anti-President Trump. They should be able to do both. So let's just take a step back, because even without everything laid bare, this is what we know uh, of all the people that have been uh, pleaded guilty or been convicted uh, since President uh, Trump took office. Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, Trump's former campaign chair, Paul Manafort, Trump's former uh, national security advisor and campaign advisor, Michael Flynn, Trump's former campaign advisor, George Papadopoulos, Trump's former deputy campaign chairman, Rick Gates. I mean, that's a lot of people very close to the president. And ironically, not ironically, but perhaps because of who the president is, all five of those have been um, have been convicted of lying. This is like a confederacy of liars. And of course, Trump being the primo of them all, given the volume of lies that he's told since he's been president. When I what I uh, woke up this morning feeling so relieved about was that. Bob Mueller is like the, the, the he's, he's there putting his flag in the ground for truth. When, when you think about the next generation and kids and looking at this president going, it's okay to lie, it's okay. Bob Mueller is having none of that. He is bringing truth and honesty, nobility, integrity back just by virtue of these, of these statements through documents. And I'm really happy about that. Here's the problem. The problem is that if you look at the other two major impeachable uh, events that we've had in, in modern times, Richard Nixon and, and Bill Clinton, there was a crime. 
There was a crime under Richard Nixon. There was a, a break in at the at the pen. I mean, the, uh, the Pentagon Papers, a break in at, at, at the, the Watergate. Watergate. And then and then there was a crime. Whitewater, Jim, Jim you know, the governor of, uh, of But that's of Arkansas. not why he was impeached. Oh, I, I, I'm getting to that. Okay. But there was a real crime that the special prosecutor really investigated. We have no real crime here. We we don't have a crime. You don't know of, that. But so far, there is no evidence that the, that that there was a crime between the Trump campaign, which was the basis of this investigation. If this investigation produces uh, a, a, a the crime as he paid off a stripper, as that's the basis of of, of all of this, well, porn, there's there's porn, or, porn star. Or, or a porn star, excuse me, a porn star. It paid off a porn star. And a, and a, play, a, a very important and, distinction. And potentially a Playboy model through. OK, but, the, but anyway. the, the bottom line is there's no major crime here that lists certainly not for the thrust of well, the investigation. We're not there Can yet. I just yeah. say that? But I'm saying you, they haven't gotten that unless they do. All of you, these other things when you are, are simply senator, not rising to the when level. When you were senator, you voted in favor of impeaching Bill Clinton on the basis of a lie, which was about his personal conduct. It wasn't about Whitewater. It wasn't about something underneath. Now, that being said, I think there's going to be a lot more there we'll see. in addition to these uh, payoffs. This but be careful this about history. I, this one I think has been unfair. And I have said from the, I called for an independent investigation before one was named. I want answers. I want people that broke the law to be held accountable, period. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, or anything. But what's been unfair is for two years, this president, by his political enemies, has been discredited. They say he's a, I, I see it all the time, in, whether it's in Twitter, whether it's in mainstream media or anywhere, he is a stooge of Russia. He's actually one of the most hawkish presidents against Russia I've seen since Reagan and probably including Reagan, from sanctions to lethal, lethal aid to Ukraine to bombing and killing 200 Russian mercenaries and taking them out in about 10 minutes. It's amazing, but for two years, he's had to deal with being discredited, and it's happening with every new piece of information. Let's just get answers and see what Jake, happens. Jake, I mean, two things here with the Mueller investigation. One is legal, and the other is political. And I think both the governor and the senator is bringing that up. On the legal end, maybe, maybe not. We still have to wait. But politically, the president is the Lion King, and all the king's men... <laughs> or ma ma most of the king's men that you just displayed up there have been caught lying. All right, everyone stick around. Uh, we have some uh, more to cover, some discouraging news for possible presidential candidates, Democrats whose campaigns haven't even gotten started, and some encouraging news for others. Stay with us. And there's some really good people out there, many of them personal friends of mine, who are thinking about running as well. And I'm trying to ascertain, quite honestly, going beyond the ego, A, which candidate has the best chance to beat Trump? I think Elizabeth Warren is a wonderful, good, dear friend of mine. You know, and, and there are a number of others. Uh, Cory Booker is a good friend of mine. Senator Bernie Sanders laying out the state of play in the ongoing invisible 2020 Democratic primary, which seemed to truly get underway over the past few days. Check out just some of the headlines from this week. Uh, and let's uh, discuss. Um, first of all, uh, Senator Turner, you worked for Bernie Sanders in 2016. I did. Do, is he running? Do you want him to run again? Are you still feeling the burn? I'm still feeling the burn. <laughs> I mean, he's seriously thinking about it. I mean, all that he has said, he has not, you know, totally made up his mind. But I think he's probably one of the very few in that mix who would say, still looking to see who might be the best person to actually do this job. I think what Democrats and the, and the 
this country can expect. There's lots of variety in 2020 on the Democratic side. Variety is often said to be the spice of life. We're going <laughs> to spice it up in 2020 on the Democratic side. You're going to have a lot, right, of spices, so like a lot of spices. 35 well, spices. Well, at least 20 in 2020. We know that for sure or more. But we didn't have that in 2016. And so although I am very supportive of Senator Sanders, I am also supportive of anybody who wants to run should get out there. Is there anyone you like? Anyone you know, you're looking at? One of the people that I totally love dropped out this week, who is Deval Patrick. I was hoping that he would do it because I want somebody who can cause our hearts to soar and who has experience and grounded. But I, I, you know, I'm all about the spice. I just don't want the heartburn. I do think that we are going to have an incredibly robust and wonderful example of democracy. And I'm excited about it. Is, is, Is there any Democrat you think that you're afraid of, that you that you don't want Be to honest. Here's, here's Here's where I come down. When the Democrats win, they pick someone unexpected or someone from some someone who's not the favorite. Bill Clinton, Barack Bill Obama. Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, Jimmy Carter. When they pick John Kerry or Al Gore or Hillary Clinton, they lose. And so I'm hoping for Bernie or Elizabeth or somebody like that. Someone tired old Joe Biden, put them out there, we'll win. If oh, they pick Lord, someone geez. new... <laughs> then they then I think that I think they have a chance. There's a the, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren speaking of Massachusetts, Deval Patrick, Elizabeth Warren from from uh, Massachusetts story in The New York Times skewered her decision uh, to release a DNA test to try to uh, show that she actually does have Native American ancestry. Her hometown newspaper, the, the Boston Globe this week wrote, quote, Warren missed her moment in 2016. And there's reason to be skeptical of her prospective candidacy in 2020. She's become a divisive figure. A unifying voice is what the country needs right now after the polarizing politics of Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I, I think the country needs unifying voices, period. I mean, I think the country's um, unbelievably divided. It's frightening to me. Uh, I would admonish the president on some of that as well. Say, hey, I, better rhetoric. Like, let's unite people. Uh, the thing, I think, with the Democratic Party in 2020 is uh, they're going to end up with a far-left candidate. Uh, right now, you see ev- even the leadership of Nancy Pelosi, they're, they're begging for their far-left. They're, they're turning to the far-left. It's not going to be a centrist party. If it was a centrist party, I think they'd put somebody up like Joe Biden. And uh, unlike uh, Senator Santorum, I actually think Biden would be a really tough candidate. But if you go far, farther to the left, I think What's Americans are going to look though, at that. Kind of, I mean, wanting, uh, Bernie Sanders. Wanting, wanting people, far left. Let me tell you something. Wanting people yeah, to have left. a $15 an hour minimum wage, wanting to make sure that people have Medicare dollar. for all. You, you know, that same budget you guys it. gave to the military yeah. industrial complex. There, there, there is no far left. So don't paint. No, there is Sanders a far left. And, and Senator like Sanders that. is but far this, left. But this is the thing, you can though. Like it it's sir, as far as tired, you know, people being tired. I appreciate that. <laughs> as far as people being tired, you know, whoever runs it will be running against uh, President Trump, most likely. And the last time I checked, he wasn't a spring chicken. So once we start getting into ageism, we have a problem because today's 28 year old will be I small. Think, who are you afraid old, of? 68 year old. I said Joe Biden. But Joe, I think Joe, Joe Biden, Biden, you think, could beat Donald Trump? Yeah, I think so, because he's, you know, he's kind of run as a centrist. I think he can uh, attract the kind of people that are voting for Donald Trump, the middle class, the blue collar workers. I think he's the one that can take that away. You put somebody like Bernie you Sanders run up. over in the middle. Let me, please, thank you. <laughs> if you put somebody like Bernie Sanders up, it's just out of the stream of what people want. Senator, we are not a liberal country, I would say. We're Sen- probably a moderate country. Another 2020 possibility, uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Democrat of New York. She tweeted uh, this week, quote, our future is female, intersectional, powered by, by our belief in one another, and we're just getting started. A number of conservatives uh, uh, rebuked her from that. Donald Trump Jr. tweeted, good to know. My girls will be excited about this. When is it appropriate to let my boys, nine, seven and six year old, that there's no future for them? Not sure this is a willing, uh, winning platform, but you 
be you. For forgetting Don Jr.'s part of this for a second, what, what do you think of the idea of the future is female, the future is intersectional? Well, I, think, I, I definitely think this midterm shows that women rose up in incredible numbers. But we're still not half of Congress. We're still not half of the Supreme Court. We, still, we hold up half the sky and more than half of the votes, but we're still not represented. So I think it is time for a woman to be on the ticket. I disagree with Adam that the agenda is is going to be as important uh, the far left. I think they're all far left. But I think what we saw from the governor's race in Georgia, what we saw from from the governor's race in Florida, and we saw from the Senate race in Texas with Beto, is they were all ran far left. They were unapologetically broad, and they almost won in some really tough states. It's the it's the messenger, the the best communicator wins. Donald Trump is a great communicator. You might not like him, but he's a great communicator. They got to find someone who's a great communicator. I have heard House Democrats talking about Beto O'Rourke and saying that he should run for president. They think he's inspiring. You know, he is inspiring and he's courageous. Well, so is Gillum and so is Abrams. Okay, let me just lay this out here. Yeah. I mean, they ran very strong races. So, you know, Beto is one side of it. Gillum and Abrams sure. is the Them as well. All part, I just of, the, House all part of the mix. Them, but I absolutely. know. I want to throw them out there. <laughs> they're, they're, now they're included. Okay. Thanks one and all for being <laughs> yeah. here. Uh, you can call him on his cell phone. President Trump might be looking for somebody new to talk to now that he's not making late night phone calls to Roger Stone anymore. That's the subject of this week's State of the Cartoonian. Stay with us. There are just some things you can't or shouldn't say over text or tweet, which is why phone calls remain an important part of communication for President Trump. And that's the subject of this week's State of the Cartoonia. This week, President Trump praised his former associate, Roger Stone, for his guts and loyalty. There's no circumstance under which I would testify against the president. Perhaps they're both longing for those late night chats they would have during the 2016 campaign. Well, I think Elton John is great. I think the Stones are great. The Beatles I love. But now, according to The Washington Post, Robert Mueller is zeroing in on those late night phone calls between Trump and Stone. We're going to win so much. It's not the first time Trump's cell phone habits have come under scrutiny. The New York Times reported it a few weeks ago in this presidential game of telephone. Mr. Trump's frenemies are also listening in. Are they overhearing anything useful? Hopefully, instead of state secrets, it's just a play-by-play of the president talking to his pal Hannity about his nightly broadcast. This is the biggest story. This is a big, big story. Perhaps instead of geopolitical secrets, they're hearing the president talking to, say, Patriots quarterback Tom Brady about, I don't know, Kanye West. Kanye's been a friend of mine for a long time. But that's just the best case scenario. I'm on the phone screaming at people all day long for weeks. One can only imagine White House Chief of Staff John Kelly having to take extraordinary measures to limit the president's iPhone privileges. Hello? Then again, at least it is an email. No one wants their personal emails made public. Tonight marks a very special CNN tradition, CNN Heroes. We're humans helping humans, and they need our help. We are truly giving the gift of mobility. They're the best the world has to offer. We're building something that matters a lot more than we do. They're heroes today and every day. You can be the This is nice. What did you use for this? Girls Coding teaches girls how to program. It's all about solving problems. We serve anybody who has ever raised their hand to defend our Constitution. My vision was to have a home where women could find safety and find themselves. 
Our first goal was just to create this hospital-based intervention. I want each and every one of them feel special. Join Anderson Cooper and Kelly Ripa live as they name the 2018 CNN Hero of the Year. Here once again celebrating the best of humanity. Don't we need this tonight more than ever? CNN Heroes, an all-star tribute tonight at 8 Eastern. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.